If you enjoy both supporting your allies and doing some strong, sustainable damage with your D&D characters, then this build is for you. Welcome to D4. Hey everybody, so here at D4, each week we take a deep dive into one, sometimes two, specific character builds for our favorite TTRPGs, D&D and Pathfinder currently. We crunch numbers about them, we theorycraft about them, not so that I can tell you the right way or the best way to play a character, but to explore one potential way to create a character with the hopes of building something that is both really powerful, but also really fun to play. So if you enjoy creating characters for your role-playing games almost as much as you enjoy playing the actual game itself, or if you're just looking for tips or ideas on a character you're thinking about trying out, then welcome home. This is where you belong, and I am so glad you're here. So thank you for being here. My name's Colby. Really quick before we jump in, if you would be interested in getting a written step-by-step -step, like cheat sheet so that you can recreate this character without having to rewatch the video or take notes, or if you're just looking for a way to throw some additional love and support my way, I would really appreciate it if you'd consider joining the channel as a member. There's a little join button down there and for $2 a month you get access to the library of write-ups that I create for each one of my builds to make it easier for you to just recreate them yourself if you want. And it's also just a really nice way to help support me and help me do more of what I'm trying to do. So to all my channel members, thank you so much. You guys are amazing. I couldn't do this without you. And for everybody else, you are also amazing. And I couldn't do this without you either. So thank you for just watching, liking, subscribing, commenting. These are all fantastic ways to support the channel, so thanks. So, I've done a lot of support characters who can pump out some significant burst damage once in a while on this channel, but I haven't done a lot of support characters who can pump out respectable sustained damage round after round, right? There have been some decent multi-target clerics for the concept, sure, uh, most notably I think the nature cleric, but yeah, there haven't been a lot, if any, like decent single target sustained DPR damage per round builds that I've built to be like support first, damage second. There's probably an exception or two in there, but really the question is, why not? My argument for the wisdom of being a support character who can do a really big burst of Nova damage once in a while is basically that as a support, you want to free up your actions to be well, supporting. And so let's just have the capacity to do a big boom once per short rest or so, but then otherwise let you focus on being a support, right? But I mean, if you think about it, how often are dedicated support characters actually just spending most of their actions doing things to support their party? Obviously, you could try to do that, but it seems to me like if played efficiently, at least, even a support first character might be using most of their action economy most of the time to try to do damage to the enemy on the battlefield, right? Because of how healing works, you're generally better off just waiting for your allies to go unconscious before trying to heal them, as we've discussed many times on this channel. Since it's almost impossible, with maybe one or two exceptions, Twilight Cleric looking at you, to just keep your allies topped off on their hit points throughout an entire combat encounter. That's just not really how D&D 5e works. You'd run out of spell slots and other healing resources if you were just blowing those resources all the time to take your ally from, say, 40 hit points to 50 on your turn or whatever, right? In D&D 5e, 
Health is a resource to be expended before spell slots during combat in most cases. Whether you love this or hate this mechanically, it's just the most efficient way to do things. With that understanding, the most effective or efficient way to play a support character might just be to throw up a great support spell that uses your concentration to buff your allies or debuff your enemies, and then just do as much damage as you can in combat, bringing your allies back from unconscious if and when they go down, right? And then having other support and utility options to heal your party with, cure them of diseases, etc., etc., largely to be used between combat encounters. And in that case, wouldn't it make sense to try and build a support character who does some pretty decent sustained damage per round if most of the rounds they too would be trying to just kill the enemy before the enemy kills them? Wouldn't it be awesome to play a support first character who could put out some pretty significant damage round after round instead of just a whimpering little few points of damage because there's kind of nothing else better for them to do this turn? I submit that it would. And so, cue my segue into alchemists. I have had a ton of requests over the years to do an alchemist build, and though I've dipped into the subclass a couple of times for some niche stuff like the combat medic or the more recent uh, cantrips only character, I've definitely never done like a character who was mostly and primarily an alchemist. The main reason, frankly, is because the subclass is, I think, a little underpowered, and arguably is a subclass for a class that might be a little underpowered itself in the artificer, right? I know, I know. A lot of you love artificers and like to argue that they're not underpowered, they're just misunderstood. I hear you, friend. I hear you. It's going to be okay. Use the comments section to work out your priority wounds. But if I'm right, and this is a somewhat underpowered subclass, then it's a real shame, because the idea of playing this sort of experimental chemist that uses the power of science to augment themselves and their allies in a fantasy setting is kind of a fun and unique thing in D&D 5e. The thing about the alchemist, though, is that their best abilities are kind of support abilities, I think. And the artificer's best spells might be support spells too, with a few exceptions. So it feels like you're already being pushed in that direction if you want to play an alchemist. I say, if we're building an alchemist, let's embrace that support role, but then do everything we can to add as much sustainable DPR to our build along the way, so that we can be both a solid support character and pump out some really respectable damage at the same time, dishing out big healing and buffing to our allies and big pain to our enemies, rather than feeling like we have to choose between one or the other. Now, in order to get there, I'm going to give myself just one rule, similar to other builds that I've done around somewhat underpowered character creations of late, like the Way of Four Elements Monk, and it's this. I can never have more levels in any other class than I do in Artificer, because Yes, I am going to do a fair bit of multiclassing in an attempt to shore up some of our weaknesses, especially on the damage front. And so, preamble complete, I proudly present D&D episode 131, The Alchemist. Huge thanks to my good friend Randall Hampton for the fantastic artwork that he created for this character concept. He does this every week. I love what he comes up with. This is no exception. If you'd be interested in following Randall to check out the other work that he does, or perhaps commission him to create some art for your character or even your party, I will, as always, put links in the video description on how to do so. 
Thanks, Randall. And before we jump into the build, I'm super excited to tell you guys about a new sponsor for the video this week, Loki Battle Mats, and their brand new book, Castles, Crypts, and Caverns. If you are tired of reusing the same generic maps for your role-playing games, or having to draw hastily drawn maps mid-game, then you are going to love this company and their products. Low-key Maps produces books that are full of really high-quality maps that lay flat, wipe clean with dry or wet markers, are all set up on a one-inch grid, and are modular so that you can line them up in a thousand different ways to create different map combinations. It's quick and easy, way better than like grid paper, and way less expensive than interlocking 3D tiles, right? They just released a brand new product, which is actually a two-book set, and this comprehensive collection of maps features detailed, hand-illustrated, really beautiful maps of castles, crypts, and caverns, from award-winning cartographer and RPG writer Matt Henderson. These new books, just like all of Loki Battle Mat's products, are kind of perfect for just about any player or GM. Super easy to pack, easy to set up, and really high quality art to immerse your players in your world while keeping prep and budget time down. And I mean, yeah. Check out how good looking these maps are, right? From the spooky depths of the crypts to the towering heights of the battlements, they provide a really vivid picture of pretty much any fantasy setting you would want to throw your players into. Castles, Crypts, and Caverns is available online at their website along with all of their products, as well as in local hobby retailers if you're looking to support your local game store. So do yourself a favor and check them out. Just go to Loki Battle Mats. I'll put that link in the video description as always. And yeah, show them some love. Save yourself a lot of time and money while not scrimping on immersion for the players at your table. Huge thanks to Loki Battle Mats. Love your guys' products. And let's jump into the build. My light ran out of battery, so I had to plug it into the dragon lamp. Sorry if it's a distraction. Don't look there. Look here. Eyes on me, people. <laughs> Actually, you you can just look at the dragon lamp if you want. It's It's way cooler anyway. All right, at level one, yes, when we first meet our champion, they are in fact an artificer. I see this character as more than just a tinkerer, however. I think they are like a bit of a polymath. They dabble in the arcane. They're intensely interested in unlocking the powers of their mind. They are really great at building things with their hands, but also like to experiment in the lab that they've built for themselves at home, mixing chemicals and herbs and whatnot. They are also pretty good with weapons, especially ranged ones. Maybe they like to hunt in their free time. They even enjoy studying the divine and might be pretty religious. In fact, I'm not even going to try to come up with a good story reason for multiclassing with this character, but will instead do what I sometimes do with these builds and say we're sort of a custom class here. I don't think of them as having a few levels in Artificer and then some levels in other classes, but more like their class is the most interesting person in the world class. Or the Professor class. Yeah, I like that who just happens to take levels in a variety of classes available in 5e to craft their own personalized character leveling process. As for our starting race, yes, I'm going back to my old shenanigans here, we're going variant human. There are two must-have feats if we want to be respectable on the damage charts, and since I do, going any other thing than variant human or custom lineage is really, really going to slow us down, especially with the multi-classing that we'll be doing. Feel free to go another route, especially if you 
you get a free feat at your table already. But as for the free feat that Variant Human gives us, I want to take the Crossbow Expert feat. It's super important for us, telling us that we can ignore the loading property of crossbows that we are proficient with. Also, that being within 5 feet of an enemy doesn't impose disadvantage on ranged attacks for us like it otherwise would, and most importantly, when we take the attack action and attack with a one-handed weapon, like for example a hand crossbow, then we can use a bonus action to attack with a hand crossbow that we're holding. Of course, there is one little problem for us at the moment. We're not actually proficient in hand crossbows. It's a martial weapon, and artificers are only proficient in simple weapons. No worries, we can fix that easy enough, but at level 1 we will be relying on cantrips for our damage. I kind of see this as like, we've invented this miniature version of a crossbow in our workshop, but we haven't quite gotten the hang of using the blasted thing just yet. We need to practice with it and train with it first and maybe work out some kinks in the design that have shown up for us in our initial tests. As for our ability scores, I assume point by as always and recommend going with a 15 dexterity and taking a plus one from Variant Human there, a 15 intelligence and our other plus one there, a 13 wisdom and a 12 constitution. We need that wisdom for multi-classing purposes, but having at least a decent wisdom modifier is never a bad idea for saving throw purposes, though I would love to get that constitution higher. But it's okay, we'll have some pretty solid defenses on this character as well as bonuses to our constitution saves and potentially our concentration checks. Plus hope to be attacking from range as much as possible, so I'm not too worried about this character's survivability. As for our starting equipment, I'm going to recommend we go gold buy as I usually do and say let's buy some scale mail, a shield, and a hand crossbow. Again, we can't use the hand crossbow just yet, but we'll fix that soon. As an artificer at level 1, then, we get magical tinkering. This lets us take a tiny non-magical object and turn it into a magical object that can do some nice utility things like shed light, play back a recorded message, emit an odor or a sound, or even display a static image. As for the spells we learn at level 1, I think I'd go for more support-focused stuff. Guidance is great to give you or an ally an extra d4 on a skill check. Spare the Dying is a pretty solid cantrip when you're out of other healing options to at least let you stabilize a dying ally. Cure Wounds is a solid heal spell. And then I think I'd plan on using my concentration at these first few levels for Fairy Fire. It's a great little spell, requiring an action to cast and then forcing all creatures within the area of effect, which is a 20-foot cube, to have to make a dexterity saving throw or be illuminated in light, be unable to benefit from invisibility, and most importantly grant advantage to all attacks made against them for the duration of the spell, which is one minute or until you lose concentration. Fantastic for you and your allies, no question. At level 2, however, we are going to dip into fighter. We've got the hang of this fantastic hand crossbow contraption we've invented and so are forced to dedicate ourselves to honing our martial prowess for a moment. When we multi-class into fighter, we gain martial weapon proficiency, so now we can start using that hand crossbow, and thus making two attacks per turn with it, thanks to the crossbow expert feat, so long as we've got our bonus action available, right? We also, as a fighter one, get second wind, which allows us to heal ourselves a bit with our bonus action once per short rest, and then yes, we get a fighting style, and naturally, we are going to take the best fighting style in the game, the archery fighting style, which gives us a plus two to hit with ranged weapons and we love it. 
At level 3, we're going back to Artificer, so we'd be in Artificer 2, and that means we get Infuse Item, which is one of my favorite things about Artificers. It tells us that we get to infuse non-magical items and enhance them with a huge list of really amazing potential benefits. We can learn four infusions currently, but can only infuse two items at a time, and no item can hold more than one of our infusions. The most important infusion for us to learn and use at the moment is, of course, repeating shot. This honestly is one thing which makes ranged weapon using artificers so good. Repeating shot would let us infuse our hand crossbow and give it a plus one to hit and damage, but also let you stop worrying about ammunition. If you load no ammo into it, it produces its own magically. So that's gonna save on a lot of headache and money and tracking ammo. Plus, it would mean that we could use the shield that we've got, right, without having to worry about having a free hand to load that crossbow, which is going to do great things for our armor class and our survivability. Artificers are really unique in their ability to use a ranged weapon and have a shield. Better yet, we shouldn't even need to worry about having to pay the Warcaster feat tax to cast spells with our hands full since we're told that any item bearing one of our infusions can be used as a spellcasting focus. And also, in the player's handbook, that you can use the same hand to perform the somatic components of a spell as you use to hold your focus. As for the other infusion I'd use here, I'd go with either the Enhanced Defense infusion or Mind Sharpener. Enhanced Defense would let us add a plus one to the AC of our armor or shield, and Mind Sharpener lets us automatically succeed at a concentration check a number of times per day. I think I'd probably lean towards enhanced defense personally, but maybe learn both of them and use whichever one feels most important as you go along. At level four, we would be an Artificer 3, and that means we get the right tool for the job. This tells us that with an hour of work, you can create any set of artisan's tools. Might come in handy once in a while. And then we do get our Artificer subclass, our Artificer specialist, and as we've said, yes, we are going with the Alchemist. Let's read really quick what Wizards of the Coast has written about Alchemists. An alchemist is an expert at combining reagents to produce mystical effects. Alchemists use their creations to give life and to leech it away. Alchemy is the oldest of Artificer traditions, and its versatility has long been valued during times of war and peace. That's actually kind of perfect for the concept we're going for. War and peace. Support and DPR. Perfect. So, as an alchemist, first up, we get alchemist spells that are just always automatically prepared for us, and they are fantastic ones. Well, okay, fine. One of them is fantastic. And the other is Ray of Sickness. <laughs> it's not the worst spell ever, and, I mean, it's free. You make a spell attack, and if you hit, you do 2d8 poison damage, and then the enemy's poisoned until the end of your next turn if they fail a constitution saving throw. At this level, you're not going to be running into poison immunity as often as you might later, nor super high constitution saves, probably, so you might get some mileage out of Ray of Sickness once in a while. The better spell here, though, is Healing Word, which is arguably the best healing spell in game only because it's so efficient and like user friendly and most artificers don't get access to it so getting it is pretty great for a support first character with healing word you cast it as a bonus action instead of an action and from range within 60 feet to heal 1d4 plus our intelligence modifier that's only slightly less than cure wounds two points of healing on average but the fact that it only takes a bonus action and has a nice range on it makes it so much better for the efficient bring your allies back from unconsciousness healing that just tends to be the best way to heal in combat, generally speaking 
thinking like we've discussed. And our professor is undoubtedly interested in being efficient. The best thing about being an alchemist, of course, is the experimental elixir feature they get at level 3. This tells us that at the end of a long rest, we can produce an experimental elixir that has a magical effect which is triggered when someone takes an action to drink it. They can also administer it to an incapacitated creature instead if they want. Now, for this first elixir that we create every morning, we have to roll on the experimental elixir table to determine the type of elixir. We are experimenting, after all. Frankly, all of the elixirs are pretty nice. Healing, swiftness to increase move speed, resilience for an AC bonus, flight. Wow, nice. Transformation to put the drinker under the effect of the altar self spell. Okay, fine, that one's kind of a dud. <laughs> Story-wise, it has a wonderful Jekyll and Hyde feel to it. Glug, glug, glug. I'd love to actually give this elixir to an ally in-game, telling them that it's a healing potion, but then accidentally turning them into like a clawed and fanged beast or something. That would be hilarious and memorable. But our favorite elixir for this build is the Boldness Elixir, which essentially puts the drinker under the effects of the Bless spell, letting you add a d4 to all of your attacks and saving throws you make for the next minute. Importantly, however, this is not the Bless spell, and so doesn't require concentration or anything. Now, with Experimental Elixir, after that first one we make each day, we can expend a spell slot to create the elixir of our choice with simply our action, and so, yes. I'm going to assume that we're keeping a little supply of Boldness Elixirs on hand, at least one, that we can down when we need to to really help us take our attacks and saving throws to the next level. It makes me feel kind of like I'm a witcher, popping mutagens or something. Is it just me, or have I been making a lot of Witcher-esque builds lately? When does the next game come out? And why has Henry Cavill stopped playing Geralt? Come on, Henry! Killing me. Anyway, these elixirs are great. Being able to dole out some free healing potions to your allies so that they can use them to bring an ally back if you can't quite get to them. Potentially even helping to bring you back, right? If you go down and you're the only healer in the party. It's some pretty potent on-demand support and utility. At level 5, we would be an Artificer 4 and we get an Ability Score Increase or Feat and yes, of course, I am going to take Sharpshooter. This is the thing that will let our sustained DPR actually kind of keep up with other builds that are more dedicated to focusing on their damage. It lets us attack from long range with our ranged weapons and not suffer disadvantage, which means our 30-foot range with our hand crossbow is now 120 feet, and that's awesome. Maybe we play this out in-game like we've just made some additional tweaks and improvements to the model, I think. Sharpshooter also lets us ignore half and three-quarters cover when making our ranged attacks fantastic. And then, yes, most importantly, lets us do 10 extra damage when we hit with a ranged weapon at the cost of a minus 5 penalty to hit. As painful as that hit penalty is, it's usually worth doing unless the enemy has a really high armor class. And if you check the spreadsheets that I post for each video in the video description, I always indicate at what enemy AC you should like turn off the sharpshooter or even great weapon master feats. Now at level 6, we're actually going to take a single dip into Cleric. This is why I mentioned the character's interests in the Divine at the beginning. And if I'm being honest, we're really here for one thing, the Bless Spell. 
because yes, as a cleric one, we get first level cleric spells here, and bless is one of the most powerful buff spells in game. So unless someone else at our table is already using it, and why would they if we've been advertising ourselves as a support first character, then we really want this spell. It requires an action to cast, requires our concentration, so no more fairy fire for the moment anyway, and lets us give a d4 to the attacks and saves of three party members now, including ourselves if we want, and we want, just like that boldness elixir. Now, you can upcast Bless to affect more party members, and don't forget that we do have second level spell slots now thanks to how multiclassing spellcasters works in 5e, right? So we could give this to four party members, and that feels way better than three. Because it means you're probably getting your whole party, or like everyone but the one character who doesn't need it as much because they're casting mostly saving throw based spells or something. Anyway, some of you may feel like investing a whole level into cleric here might be a waste. We had to sacrifice our constitution to get that 13 wisdom and we could actually get bless with a feat, magic initiate or better yet, fey touched. I think if I were starting this character at say level eight or higher, I'd probably skip cleric and go the fey touched route. But the truth is, I have a damage report to deal with at this level, and I want my characters to be as strong as possible throughout their lifetime and not just at like mid game or late game as most of you know by now. Not only that, but taking a one level dip in cleric means we get a cleric subclass, a divine domain. And that has the potential to give us some really nice additional support and even defensive bonuses as well. And since I'm touting myself as a support first character, taking this one level dip feels like a nice fit to me. Now, as far as what subclass to take here, I'm tempted to just say PYF, pick your favorite, as odd as that may sound. If Forge Cleric would let me add another plus one to my returning weapon infused crossbow, then I'd go that route, but rules as written, it only works on non-magical weapons. So... Other great options would be Grave Cleric if you want to heal full hit points instead of rolling dice when you heal an unconscious ally. Or the route I would go, I think, would be Life to gain proficiency in heavy armor, which we could use if we didn't mind suffering a 10-foot move speed penalty, and maybe we don't as a ranged character, up to you. But we also get the Bless spell for free as a Life Cleric, so that frees up a prepared spell. And Life Clerics heal for a little extra when they cast a spell of first level or higher. It's two plus the spell's level, thankfully, and not our Wisdom modifier. That's going to give some nice additional healing on all of our heal spells, which is really great. The final option I think I'd probably consider here, and which I'm guessing most of you anticipated me using actually, was Peace Cleric. Some consider this subclass to be overpowered. I don't know that I actually do, but it is really good. At level 1 Peace Cleric we basically get a light version of, yeah, the Bless spell that applies only to one attack, one ability check, or one saving throw once per turn for the allies that you designate. If it applied to all of those things throughout the turn, it would be totally overpowered, no question. But since it costs an action to use the ability and only works once per turn, I can't actually see myself using that ability if I went Peace Cleric because Bless also requires an action and drinking our Elixion takes an action. We might spend an entire combat encounter just adding D4s and never making attacks if that were the case. Speaking of combat, Yes, at level 6, it is time for our first damage report, so let's discuss what combat is looking for us right now. First up, 
when combat breaks out, on round one, we're casting Bless. We are a support character first, so this is the most important thing for us to do, I think. Unfortunately, like I've said, drinking our elixir also requires an action, which really stinks and means it very often won't be worth spending an entire additional round just to buff ourselves. Here's a potential hack. The Thief Rogue can take the use an object action as a bonus action instead of an action. Now, I don't think rules as written it would work with drinking an elixir as the experimental elixir feature specifically tells us that we can use an action to drink an elixir and not that we can take an action to take the use an object action to drink an elixir, right? That might feel like semantics, and I'd be willing to bet that most DMs would allow it, but it is a hefty three-level investment for the privilege into Rogue. If it were allowed, I might go for it since, I mean, hey, getting some sneak attack damage along the way, in addition to some potential roguish utility, might be worth it. I'm not going to plan on going this route for this build because I'm not sure if it would be allowed at your table, meaning that yes, if we wanted to get Bless up and drink a boldness elixir, it would require two full rounds, which just might not be worth it. Hopefully, you can see combat coming and get a bless spell off before combat starts, or pop that elixir, right? If not, I probably wouldn't be drinking that elixir unless you were confident that it was going to be a long fight. When I'm crunching numbers, I'm assuming that we have done so, since, as always, I like to explore the limits of what's possible, not necessarily advisable. This would mean, then, that we've got a plus 2d4 on all of our attacks and saving throws, and that is kind of amazing. Now, some of you may be thinking, why not just keep using Fairy Fire for our concentration instead of Bless? Advantage would be better for our numbers than an additional d4 to hit. And this is true. Advantage would be better, but only by like two or three total points of damage in a round. And like I've said, I imagine this character as being able to fulfill their party's support role. We don't need any more support characters, thanks. That role's been filled. And as such, Bless is just going to be so much better for both offensive and defensive power for your entire party. Not only because it buffs both attacks and saving throws, but also because Fairy Fire might not work. The enemy could make their save, and our DC is good, but not great. Plus, it's only a 20-foot cube area, which means we both might not get all of the enemies in the area of effect, and we have to worry about our allies being in the way when we cast it. It's a good spell, but Bless is better, especially for a character who aims to be their party support. Anyway, once we've got all of our buffs going, we'd simply be making two attacks per round with our hand crossbow, pew pew, doing a d6 of damage, each plus three for our dexterity modifier, plus one for our returning weapon infusion, plus 10 for sharpshooter, for a grand total, if everything hits, of 2d6 plus 28 damage. And thus, against enemies with a 10 armor class here, we would on average do 33 DPR, and against enemies with a 15 armor class, it would be 27 DPR. And Compared to other sustained damage builds that I've done to date, that's not awesome. It's kind of middle to upper end of tier four at this level. But also, we're an alchemist. So, hey, cut me some slack, okay? One thing I love is that even without advantage, we would never turn off Sharpshooter with this build. With archery fighting style and our plus one from our weapon, we are at a plus nine to hit with a 16 dexterity. Add 2d4 to each and every attack, and on average we're a plus 14 to hit at level six. That is so powerful when combined with Sharpshooter's minus five to hit plus 10 to damage, right? Also, 
We're trying to be a decent support character here, as well as a damage dealer. So yeah, we're a bit of a hybrid. We've got healing spells, healing elixirs, buffs, and words of love and encouragement. I am really pretty happy to be where we are. At level 7, I'm gonna go back to fighter. We'd be a fighter too, which means action surge. Once per short rest, we get to take two actions instead of one. Honestly, if it were me, I might find myself using this to just set everything up more often than not. Cast Bless, Action Surge, drink a Boldness Elixir. Feels pretty good on round one. Of course, you could use it for burst damage instead, but here's hoping you play at a table that gets a short rest after most combat encounters like at my table, and if so, we could more often than not just take one round to get everything going. At level 8, we would be a Fighter 3, and that means we get our Martial Archetype, our Fighter subclass. And I think the thing I want for this character, both mechanically and thematically, is the Psy Warrior. I just love the idea of this professor-like character, intelligent, curious, wanting to know everything about everything, discovering a way to further unlock the powers of their own intellect through psionics. Just feels cool. Now we only get one feature as a Psy Warrior at level 3, but it's kind of three features in one. Psionic Power. This tells us that each day we get double our proficiency bonus in Psionic Energy Dice. So that's like... <laughs> times 2 squared. These dice are d6s, and we use them to fuel a number of cool new psionic powers. Two of them that are more support-like in nature, perfect, and one that can add some damage, perfect. Protective Field lets us spend a psionic energy die when we or an ally within 30 feet takes damage. We use our reaction, roll the die, add our intelligence modifier, and reduce the damage by that amount. Great support option. Preventing an ally from going unconscious, especially if we can do so with our reaction, is often more efficient than spending a bonus action and a spell slot on our turn to bring them back up. Among other things, it might potentially allow them to actually get to take their turn when they would otherwise be making death saves, right? Nice work, Professor. Telekinetic movement lets us move an object or a willing creature with our action to a spot within 30 feet of yourself. If it's a tiny object, you can just use the force and pull that lightsaber right out of that snowbank into your hand, Luke. We can even do this once per short rest without spending a psionic energy die. That's cool. And it's going to be a nice way to like get a squishy ally away from a hard-hitting enemy to protect them, or maybe up onto a ledge to safety or across a chasm, etc. Finally, we get the psionic strike option, which lets us add our psionic energy die plus our intelligence modifier in force damage once per turn when we hit an enemy within 30 feet with a weapon attack. Now, as a support first character, I'd probably try not to spend all of my psionic energy die on doing this, but also, as someone who's crunching numbers and beholden to a spreadsheet, I like to explore the range of what's possible damage-wise. My usual requirement to consider something as sustainable DPR is that it has to be doable every single round for at least one entire combat encounter per day. Next level, we're gonna have eight psionic energy dice per day the vast majority of combat encounters at most tables in D&D 5e last fewer than eight rounds. And especially considering that we are taking one or two rounds to set things up before we start firing, yeah, I'm gonna go ahead and assume we've got an extra D6 plus three, our intelligence modifier, once per round in damage now. Even if you might rather decide to save those energy dice for protective field or even telekinetic movement. At level nine, we would be a fighter four. That means we get another ability score increase or feat. And I think we've got to bump 
dexterity up to 18. It just helps our damage more than really anything else we could take here. So that's what I'm going to do. For our damage report at level 9 then, since last check, we've bumped our dexterity by 1 and added a d6 plus 3 of damage to each round. Not huge increases, but we appreciate the support, utility, and even potential burst thanks to Action Surge options we've picked up along the way as well. So, at this level, against enemies with a 10 armor class, we would do 42 damage per round on average, and against enemies with a 16 armor class, it would be 36 DPR. And once again, those numbers aren't amazing, leaving us again kind of middle of the pack for tier 4, but Considering how consistent our damage is, regardless of enemy AC, and how many support and utility options we have at our disposal, I really like the feel of this Professor Alchemist. At level 10, we've got to take an Artificer level or we are going to break our rules, so we'd be an Artificer 5. Plus, honestly, there are some really great support options here, and if we were truly trying to be a support first character, we probably should have gone Artificer 5 before gunning for more fighter levels. But beholden to the spreadsheet, feel free to go Artificer 5 first on your character, depending on how badly your team needs more support over a little more damage. But at Artificer 5 now, we finally get second level spells, and there are some good ones. <clears throat> First off, as an alchemist, we get Flaming Sphere and Acid Arrow for free. I've had Build Around Flaming Sphere on my to-do list forever. It can potentially be kinda nice as it lets you do damage every round with your bonus action, among other things, but I didn't build for it today and honestly, Heat Metal would be an even better use of our bonus action so long as the enemy we were fighting was wearing metal armor, right? Acid Arrow is similarly potentially useful, but we probably won't be doing much with it. It does a little damage now and even less damage next turn. The two I'd probably be focused on here are the two best support spells at this level. Lesser Restoration for curing all kinds of conditions, Blinded, Deafened, Paralyzed, and Poisoned, and Aid. To both heal and increase the max hit points of three allies, or two allies and ourselves, with some really nice scaling when you upcast it, right? We also get Alchemical Savant here, um, and Alchemical Savant is potentially a really nice feature. It tells us that when we cast a spell, with our alchemist supplies as our focus, we can add our intelligence modifier as a bonus to one roll of the spell, either healing or damage, if the damage is acid, fire, necrotic, or poison. I made use of this damage-wise on the cantrips-only build I did a few months ago that I mentioned earlier, and it's potentially a nice little bump, but trying to build around it as a character who's an alchemist first and foremost is admittedly pretty tough it's not enough of a damage increase to really blow your socks off. I initially, when I was building this character, tried doing like a firebolt-focused thing for sustained DPR with maybe Flaming Sphere or Heat Metal as a bonus action, but the Crossbow Expert route was like 50% more damage, and it's already only a tier 4 build, right? Going Firebolt would have landed us well below the worst sustained damage build I've ever done, and that felt bad. Still, if you wanted to really focus more on your support and or didn't want to multi-class at all, it's doable. Just know it won't be great. As for us, the thing I really like about this feature is the bonus we'll get to healing. Assuming we do go Life Cleric, if we wanted to upcast Cure Wounds at second level here, we'd heal for 19 hit points with it on average. 
That's pretty solid. The one potential hiccup is that we have to cast the spell with our alchemist supplies. Honestly, this is such a wonky rule that Watsi put in here. Like, this subclass is so far from overpowered, it's ridiculous. Why are we putting this super crazy restraint on it to get a fairly small buff to their somewhat paltry spellcasting as a half-caster? Do you know how hard it is to run around the battlefield carrying a bunch of alchemist supplies? <laughs> Juggling beakers and bunsen burners? Anyway, if we're using our hand crossbow as a spell focus and using a shield, this won't work. So we are either losing the shield to get a little more healing, crossbow in one hand, beaker in the other. No, not that beaker, this one. Or only giving ourselves this bonus when we're casting outside of combat. Hey, DMs, seriously, just let this work for your alchemist players regardless of what they're using for a spell focus. They have already kind of hamstrung themselves. Be nice. At level 11, we would go back to fighter for extra attack, finally. And yes, of course, if you are wanting to focus on damage over support, then you should have gotten here much sooner. Maybe beelined right for it after Alchemist 3. I had a rule to follow, so we took our time getting here, but I feel pretty good about the balance we've struck between damage and support thus far. And now that we have extra attack, it gives us a huge boost to our DPR, letting us attack three times per round with that hand crossbow if we have our bonus action available. Also, don't forget, our psionic energy die actually bumps up to a D8 here at Fighter 5. It gives us a teeny bit more damage or damage absorption. Nice. At level 12, we would be an Artificer 6, and that means we get Tool Expertise. This simply doubles our proficiency bonus for any ability check we make with a tool that we have proficiency in. We'd actually be pretty great at disarming traps and picking locks now, as similar to just regular expertise, right? Tool Expertise lets us, among other things, double our proficiency bonus with Thieves Tools, and we've got a high dexterity modifier. So don't be afraid to get in there with the rogue and pick those locks and disarm those traps. We also get to infuse a third item at Artificer 6, as well as access to some more powerful infusions. I think I would either take Repulsion Shield here or Spell Refueling Ring. Repulsion Shield gives us a plus one to our armor class, meaning that even if you had no other magic items, you could potentially have a 22 AC here. 18 for plate armor if you were wearing it, two for a shield, plus one from enhanced defense used on our armor and plus one from repulsion shield used on our shield. Not bad for a ranged damage dealing support character. In addition though, repulsion shield lets us use our reaction when hit by a melee attack to push the attacker up to 15 feet away. The shield has four charges and regains 1d4 charges per day. 15 feet. That's pretty awesome, honestly, especially for a character who wants to keep enemies at range, letting you move away from them on your turn without taking an opportunity attack. It'd be fun to try and build around this if we could trigger it whenever we wanted to, instead of having to kind of be at the mercy of being hit by an enemy, right? Anyway, the other option here, Spell Refueling Ring, just lets us recover an expended spell slot once per day of third level or lower, and we do have third level spell slots now, by the way, thanks to our cleric dip. Considering that we're a half caster with too few spell slots, getting one more per day would be really nice. At level 13, as tempted as I am to go fighter 6 here to get another ability score increase or feat so we could cap our dexterity and thus be able to increase our intelligence when we hit artificer 8, I really want to get to artificer 11 on this character before we're done, so I'm sticking with artificer. We'd be an artificer 7. And that means we get flash of genius, and I really love this ability, especially for a support-focused professor. 
It tells us that intelligence modifier times per day really makes me want to bump that intelligence score when we or an ally within 30 feet make an ability check or saving throw. We can use our reaction to add our intelligence modifier to that roll. Considering that they probably have bless on them, being able to add three more to an ally's save, or our own for that matter, is pretty awesome. This will also be nice to bump up an ally's counterspell, for example, which is an ability check, or maybe your friendly barbarian's grapple check. It's going to definitely keep us from failing almost every concentration check we ever have to make, even if we don't have the mind sharpener infusion. Very nice. Alright, at level 13, it's time for our next damage report. Since last check, we finally added the all-important extra attack, bumped our psionic strike damage by a hair, and picked up some really great support, utility, and defensive capabilities to boot. And thus, against enemies with a 10 armor class here, we would do 61 damage per round on average, and against enemies with a 17 armor class, it would be 53 DPR. And compared to other sustained DPR builds I've done to date at this level, this puts us more like top of tier 4 or even kind of bottom of tier 3. So we're moving up just a little bit compared to other builds, which feels good considering how many solid support, utility, and defensive capabilities we bring to the table. Best professor ever. At level 14, we would be an Artificer 8, and that means we get another ability score increase or feat. We've got to cap our dexterity here. I hate how long it took us to get to 20, but that's the price of needing two feats and doing a bunch of multiclassing. Thankfully, our plus to hit has been sky high regardless, and the hit chance is a lot more important than the little bit of extra damage we get from our ability modifier. So it hasn't been too painful for us to take this long to cap our decks. Still, I'm happy to finally get here. And also, if you weren't so beholden to the spreadsheet like me, you might want to bump intelligence here instead. It adds a little bit of damage thanks to psionic strike, but more importantly lets you heal for more and use things like flash of genius more often, etc. At level 15, we would be an artificer 9, and that means third level spells. Alchemists get gaseous form and mass healing word for free. I love the image of you drinking this special elixir and dissolving into mist as a result with gaseous form. It's great, it lasts for an hour, and it can potentially provide a lot of utility and help you get into hard-to-reach places, among other things. Not bad. Mass healing word is not terrible. In those instances when you have multiple party members that could use some healing, maybe one of them's down and you've got a couple of others that are pretty low. I mean, it's still only a bonus action to cast and would potentially heal your entire party by what? 13.5 hit points on average, assuming we went life cleric and we're benefiting from alchemical savant. Not bad at all. Other than that, there are a ton of wonderful third level spell options to choose from, as always. My favorites would be Revivify, of course, and admittedly, one of the bigger weaknesses of this build is that if you truly are the only support character in your party, taking this long to get a resurrection option feels pretty bad. Hopefully you've got an offensive-minded cleric or druid or paladin or bard even in your party who could have taken this spell before now. But also, I would definitely consider picking up Catnap for some really great take a short rest in 10 minutes utility, and of course Dispel Magic is always handy as well. At level 16, we would be an Artificer 10, and that means we get to have a fourth infusion. 
I think we kind of have to take Homunculus Servant, though there are plenty of others that I'd love to have. Not only some of the ones I've already mentioned that we haven't been able to fit in yet, but I mean also at this level we could craft ourselves a nice little cloak of protection or headband of intellect or winged boots for ourselves if we didn't have any of those things yet. But we need that homunculus for next level. It's a nice little construct pet that for now we'd mostly just be using for utility purposes to scout and things since it would require us to take a bonus action to command it to do anything, and its attack is definitely weaker than our own sharpshooter-infused hand crossbow bonus action attack that we currently have, right? We also get the very underrated, I think, magic item adept feature here, which tells us that, among other things, we can attune to four magic items instead of three, like everyone else, and at most tables, this is really, really powerful. I don't know exactly how powerful it will be for you at your table, because I don't know what kind of magic items your DM is going to give you access to, but at my table, I am constantly so frustrated by that three attunement slot cap, and all of my characters would be a lot stronger if they could attune to a fourth magic item. So I hope you get to enjoy the same power increase in your own party. And then finally for us, at level 17, we would be an Artificer 11, and we get perhaps my favorite Artificer ability, the Spell Storing Item. This is just so potent. It lets us store an Artificer spell of first or second level in an item, either a weapon or a spell focus, and that spell can then be cast by a creature, not you potentially, who's holding the item. Two times your intelligence modifier per day. So yeah, you could store fairy fire into like a little crystal, some kind of spell focus, give it to your homunculus, and yes, use a bonus action to command them to cast this spell, which they totally can do, rules as written, and even concentrate on it as well. Finally, we get to have advantage. Not that we really needed it all that much, but it will help a little bit for us and potentially a lot for our allies if they weren't otherwise getting advantage on their attacks. Of course, if someone else in your party is already doing things to give your party advantage, then you don't need to worry about this, and I'd probably put web in there instead. Or maybe cure wounds to have like a nice healing battery or something. And so, at level 17, it's time for our final damage report. Since last check, we have capped our dexterity modifier and then, yes, added the ability to essentially have two concentration spells going, Bless and Fairy Fire. So now, on round one, we'd use our action to cast Bless if we couldn't get it going before combat started, and then our bonus action to command our homunculus to cast Fairy Fire, and we've just given our entire party a d4 on all of their hits and saving throws, and hopefully advantage on at least one, if not multiple enemies. If we did nothing else this entire combat, we'd still have made a pretty significant contribution. And yes, I'm just going to go ahead and assume that we're making attacks on a target who failed their save against Fairy Fire, though I appreciate that won't always be the case. Again, exploring best case scenario numbers as always. And so, against enemies with a 10 armor class here, we would on average do 67 damage per round, and against enemies with an 18 armor class, it would be 66 DPR. <laughs> so, yeah, it barely drops as the AC goes up. We have a plus 14, plus 2d4 to hit right now, potentially. So, 
a plus 19 to hit on average. And now, with advantage. That's a little silly. No, we're not topping the charts or anything damage-wise. Still kind of bottom of tier 3, top of tier 4. But we're doing 52 DPR against even a 25 enemy armor class right now, which is better than even some tier 2 builds can say. And again, we're kind of trying to be mostly a support character here. So let's discuss final thoughts. The tier score for this character, if you take the damage that they do at each enemy armor class we calculate for at each of the four damage reports and just average it all into one big number, we would end up with a 42, which puts us kind of right near the top of tier four. And despite that relatively low number, it might be the highest DPR on a support first character I've ever made, at least when we're thinking about single target. I mean, sure, the Stars Druid, ooh, I think I'm out of cards, could support, but they were spending most of their best resources on damage and frankly had fewer ways to offer support with smaller heals when they did go to heal. I think if I were going to try and fill the role of a support character for my party today, I just might go this route. I always like doing more than just healing and buffing when I'm in that support role. Maybe I'm too selfish a player to be a great support character. I don't know. I'm willing to own that. But to be fair, you can definitely make the argument that one of the best ways to keep your allies alive is by killing your enemies faster, right? Dead enemies do zero damage. So I think there's a lot of merit in both the conceptual and mechanical advantages of playing a character who does a decent amount of damage each round and is consistently buffing and healing their allies too. In the end, the thing that felt the most compelling to me about the character when I started was the idea of having basically a double bless on myself and wondering how it would impact things if I went with Sharpshooter. And I was thrilled with the result. I don't think I've ever done a build that used Sharpshooter or Great Weapon Master that never turned the feature off, regardless of the enemy armor class, regardless of what level we were. And we didn't even have advantage on our attacks until level 17. So. Yeah, this character really just nails the feel for me of being this do-everything, scientist, crack-shot, supporty, religious, know-it-all. I really hope I get to try them out in-game sometime soon. And I hope that you do, too, because that is the build for the week. So thanks so much for being here. I hope you guys know how much I love you. You are the best. Thanks for all that you do to support me and this channel. I'm very grateful for you. I hope you have a really great day and a fantastic week and that you stay safe and be good and be kind and be happy. And that I see you again really soon. But until then, take care. Sometimes it's like someone took a knife, baby, edgy and dull, and cut a six-inch valley through the middle of my skull. It's a little dark, Bruce. <laughs> At night I wake up with the sheets soaking wet and a freight train running through the middle of my head and weave. You cool my desire. Oh, I'm on fire Oh, I'm on fire Ooh-hoo-hoo
where was that song two weeks ago when I couldn't think of a good outtake song to be singing for the Flame Singer video where I'm lighting myself on fire. I'm on fire. Total missed opportunity. All right, I think I've got things dialed in for the studio, finally. Tell me what you think, though. I'm playing with my key light. There's like kind of the warmer, and there's kind of the bluer, lighter. I'm kind of going for something in between. It's kind of like uh, maybe something like that, maybe. But of course, the piece de resistance is. <gasps> this thing's so cool. Check it out. I can just like. Mm, I go for some blue. Maybe a little. Ooh, that's like a kind of a cool sunburst look. Yeah. A little green. Eh. Not as good. Yellow, if I just kind of want some warmth. Like a teal, all kind. I mean, this is like the colors of the rainbow at my disposal. What's your favorite? I think I'm going purple today. All right, at level one. Oh man, really? Holy cow, that goes out so quick. That sucks. It just looks better behind me. So I guess I'm gonna be alternating this episode. It's just, it, it's, it's, it's a pretty potent. It's a pretty pot. It's some pretty potent on-demand support. New favorite shirt. Because it's Leviosa, Ron Weasley. Get your weak ass <laughs> fragile male ego out of here. You don't say it right, you're going to blow up your friends.